Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. It is Tuesday, right before Christmas. It's almost time for me to start my shopping. Have you done any of your shopping yet? I'm, uh, I'm beginning to think about it. You know, got a few more days left. That's the way I roll. Plenty of time, plenty of time. Well, welcome to Southern California Live. You can join the conversation at 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557, or you can send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Hey, the government is getting ready to pass the omnibus bill, the omnibus bill. It seems like such a, uh, you know, it just means, uh, you know, multi-different things in the bill. I'll explain that in a second. But it's very expensive. This is Senator Mike Lee today talking about this. This monstrous spending bill clocks in at 4,155 pages. It was released in the middle of the night. We've had it for only a few hours. And now we're being told Congress needs to vote on and pass this thing on an expedited basis. Some are saying, you know, within the next 48 to 72 hours. This is a bill that, you know, is it's meant to make things very simple. It's called the Consolidated Appropriations Act. And the idea, you keep hearing this omnibus bill, but it's a type of bill in the United States that packages many of the other smaller, ordinary expenditures into one bill. So things that you know you're going to have to spend money on to keep the government open, to keep the military operating, to keep uh, the lights on, those kinds of things, right? There are certain bills that you got to pay them. You just have to pay them. And maybe there's some ways that you can have cuts down the line and change them. But generally speaking, to keep things going, you got to pay the bill, right? That's what this is or what it's meant to be. But what has happened, and so the idea then is that rather than debate all of these things, Congress puts them all into one bill between the House and the Senate, and they can just vote once for a whole bunch of different things. And it's meant to save time. It's meant to be something that's efficient. Um, sometimes you can be on a on a board for an organization or something, and you might have something called a unanimous consent uh, bill, where just everything passes because you have to vote on it every month. And basically, the idea is just saves time if it's something that it's meant to be something that doesn't have to get looked at all the time, right? And, and everybody would agree to that. But what's happening in the United States Congress, and both sides of the aisle do this, okay? Uh, Democrats still control both houses of Congress, and so they're the ones doing it now. But Republicans have done it uh, similar things before, although not usually as bad. But both sides are spending crazy amounts of money. Um, but right now, because the House chamber is going to change control in the first of the year, uh, there is a ton of things being thrown in here. So all kinds of expenditures. And I'm going to go through some of these things uh, here in just a minute. Senator Mike Lee continued with this. Some of our colleagues must have magical powers, powers that I can't grasp or even understand. Because one of the reasons why this works is that you, you've had, uh, I think, all 50 Democrats agreeing in advance they'd support it. And you've had between 10 and 20 Republicans agreeing in advance that they would support it. Even though Essentially, none of them have seen this. I've got friends on the Appropriations Committee, including some who were subcommittee chairs 
or subcommittee ranking members uh, on there who, who hadn't seen it. And yet they didn't know what was in it. So magically, those 50 Democrats and those 10 to 20 Republicans who pledged their support for it before it even existed, they somehow knew what was in it. See, and the idea is that everybody should know what's in it. The reason that this is supposed to be a time saver is because everybody is supposed to know what's in it, and it's basically to keep the military functioning, to keep the lights on, to keep everything going. And so we'll just vote for it, right? But when you start adding a whole bunch of things into it, the criticism of this kind of bill is that actually only a few people know what's in it. And most of the Congress, most of the 535 people in the House and Senate who are supposed to vote for this have no clue what's actually in it. And a very tiny group of people then suddenly has this amazing authority to spend money. Something that's very, very important is that we always remember, it seems to be that we, we blame the president, whoever the president is, for uh, money being spent. There's some blame to go around there, but we have to remember that it's really the Congress, specifically the House of Representatives, that spends money. The national debt and big bills like this, you know, the president might sign it, the president might have input, the president has some, you know, any president has some, uh, you know, some responsibility for it. But really, this is supposed to happen in the Congress. And the reason for that is your representative gets their input normally on what gets spent. Well, that's not what's happening here. A small number of people in a small committee in both parties puts this together, and then everyone else is supposed to just vote on it. Now, they can they can read it, but they only have a few hours to read 4,155 pages. How many of you can read 4,155 pages here in just a few hours? The Bible depending on which version you're holding on to, you know, you might have a bunch of notes and other things in it, but the Bible's about 1,200 pages long. Could you read that three times before Friday this week? Now, some of you, in order to reach your New Year's resolution from last year, need to do that with your Bible reading because you're that far behind. So you better get going. Uh, That's what it is. It's $1.7 trillion, trillion with a T. $1.7 trillion is what this bill is. That's enormous. It's a huge bill. Let me try to try to present it this way to you. $1.7 trillion. If you were to spend $2,303,430 per day, all right, $2,300,000 every single day since the birth of Christ, since the very first Christmas, you still would not have spent $1.7 trillion. Can you think about that? I mean, that is, that's an incredible amount of money. $2,300,000 a day, every day, since the birth of Christ, since the time of Caesar Augustus, every single day since the birth of Christ, it still doesn't equal $1.7 trillion. That's what this bill is about. And that's why Senator Mike Lee is complaining. And rightly so, except that this isn't something new. This isn't something that just suddenly happened out of the blue. This happens all the time in Congress. Mike Lee continues. That isn't right. It used to be that the legislative process involved reading and debating and discussing and amending. It used to be that once a bill like this reached the floor, after it had gone through a full committee markup process. That's how it used to be, but it's not like that anymore. And um, so I think that we, the people, should know what's in that bill, right? We should have some idea. They're going to they're gonna sign it. They're going to spend it. They don't want to, they don't really want to read it. You know, and it's something that we should all think about. I mean, how many of us actually read our uh, credit card bill? I mean, honestly, just think about it. That's one of the things that gets us in trouble, right, is that we don't really look at our credit card statements. And suddenly we've signed up for all kinds of different things that we're, we're paying for monthly, but we don't realize we're paying for it monthly. 
I was reading about somebody who found out they had three separate Netflix accounts because they had signed up at just random times with a different email address. You know, he used his email address and his wife signed up with her email address. And uh, one time they used a family email address and they keep forgetting that they're subscribing. And so they've been paying three times for a service that they really only need once. And they've been doing that for a couple of years, but they never notice because they don't look at their bill. This is something I think that is representative of what happens with our representatives. They just do what we do. Like we shouldn't expect them to not spend money that they don't have because most of us are spending money we don't have. I don't mean just at Christmas time. I mean, hopefully you read your bill when it comes in January, that dreaded January visa bill. When you realize, oh, Christmas was a little bit more expensive than than we thought that was there. Uh, do you read your bills? Do you pay attention to your uh, to your bills? You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. If you want to join our conversation or would like to comment, the number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Would you like to know what's in the bill? Some people are uh, the omnibus bill, omnibus bill that uh, Congress is passing to uh, close out the year to make sure that there's no government shutdown. You know, once in a while we have these government shutdowns. And what happens in the government shutdown is somebody is trying to raise this as an issue, or maybe they've got a political agenda with it, but, and then the government shuts down for a while. Uh, they're working hard to not do that right now. Here's some things that are in the, uh, in the bill, and these are popping up because uh, people are just reading it as fast as they can, okay? Um, one of the things that's important is we're looking at this, this major crisis at the border. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit in the next hour, um, but we have Title 42 potentially ending this week. The Supreme Court has held that up. And we have thousands and thousands of people coming across the border. I mean, it's just huge, the number of people crossing the border right now. And that number is expected to go up. Uh, it's expected to go up next this week if um, the, the Biden administration does not respond to the Supreme Court in such a way that they can keep Title 42 going. Now, there's other legal means that the Border Patrol can be using to to control the border, but uh, they haven't been doing that for a long time. Uh, this is a reporter on MSNBC who's in El Paso, and if MSNBC is reporting on the border, if they've actually bothered to send somebody down to the border to take a look, it must be a uh, a pretty big deal. This is what she had to say. This is Julia Ainsley on MSNBC. That's right. It's really just a numbers game, Andrea. And for a while, yes, we've been looking at maybe 10,000 a day across the border, but I think it might even be higher than that. Now that I've been able to get down on the ground and talk to people, we're talking about just here in El Paso, numbers could be as high as five to 6,000 a day. This is just one small section of the border. So they're worried that they could be completely overwhelmed and not be able to meet people's basic human needs. Officials have ramped up processing, but we were even able to see as of last night, a lot of migrants just crossing and migrants I spoke to this morning saying they haven't had any interaction with U.S. immigration authorities. They just walked right in. You would think that with uh, everybody on all sides kind of recognizing that we have a big crisis and the crisis isn't just people coming here looking for, you know, a better life. It's they're coming here and they're not going to get a better life. Most of them, they're going to suffer on the streets, which is what's happening in places like El Paso. You would think that maybe if we're going to spend a bunch of money that we would do something related to that. Well, the omnibus bill expressly prohibits the California Border Patrol or the uh, and the Border Patrol anywhere, uh, not just California, funding from being used to improve border security in the United States. Like it, it expressly prohibits that. The language says this money shall not be used for the Border Patrol except to 
improve processing software. That's it. However, here's the kicker. It specifically allocates $410 million in border security to Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia, and Oman. So no money to the border in the United States where we have a legitimate crisis going on and people are going to die and people are going to be suffering tremendously and cities are overwhelmed. Across the country, cities are overwhelmed. And now it's blue state, red state. It's everybody right now is on board saying, hey, the federal government needs to do something. But now that the federal government has a chance to spend some money really quick, they're spending zero dollars on our border, but spending $410 million in border security for Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia, and Oman. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a reason for that expenditure. Maybe that has something to do with keeping the peace in the Middle East. Maybe that has something to do with a treaty that we've signed. There's, there's a reason for that money, okay? But it's amazing that we're, we're understanding the reason for border security elsewhere in the world, but not here. Uh, the word salmon is in the omnibus bill 48 times. $70 million is spent on salmon. Some people are trying to figure out what the salmon need for that money, and maybe that's what they need. I mean, uh, I like salmon. I used to get it a lot more, except if you've seen the price of salmon recently, maybe that $70 million will bring it down. I used to go to Costco and get that little salmon packet, you know, it'll maybe last a couple of days for the family. Now that is expensive. I mean, it has shot up like 33%, I would say a third, which is 33%, just in the past year. I don't buy it anymore. It's expensive. So something's happening. Uh, $3 million is being spent for bee-friendly highways. Uh, there's probably, well, like I said, there's probably a reason, right? There's probably some kind of ecological reason that somebody has decided that the bushes that we plant along freeways need to have flowers on them that can be pollinated by bees. There's probably a good reason for that, I suppose. I wish these things were dealt with on a local level, though. Like, shouldn't state governments have something to do with this? I suppose if it's interstate highways and the federal government has to do it, that's why. Um, but that's there. And I'm wondering, is anybody asking the question? Or is it just somebody who is in Congress who has a highway going through uh, his state and is saying, you know what, we need to uh, find a reason to decorate these highways. And maybe it's just made up. Maybe there's no reason for bee-friendly highways. I got stung by a bee for the first time in my life last summer. My whole life, I didn't get stung by a bee. Somebody said, are you allergic? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess we're going to find out. And I waited to find out. Apparently, I was not. Uh, there's another $5 million for salmon in there. $65.7 million for international fisheries. I guess we're taking care of fish around the corner. This one I sort of thought was interesting. $300,000, relatively small amount for a federal budget. $300,000 per year for the continuous plankton recorder. I don't even know what that is. It sounds like... There's just somebody, probably some uh, congressional intern somewhere, who wants to make sure that he never misses an episode of SpongeBob. And so he's recording all of them on a continuous plankton recorder. Um, on something that is, I think, more, more serious, $575 million for family planning. And it says this, for family planning in areas where population growth threatens biodiversity... So there is a theory, it's a little bit more complicated than I'm going to make it here, but it's called um, Malthusianism. And what it is, it's an ideology that says the more human beings are around, that's what leads to famine and that's what leads to wars and it what leads to other things that basically start to take out human beings because uh, the idea is that there's too many people. Uh, there's not too many people. Have you ever flown over the United States? 
Like there's there's plenty of room. There's you know if if we knew what we were doing with uh, immigration, we could actually house plenty of people. There's you know if there was a plan, if there was some reason to do it, if we were really serious about saying you know give us your your tired and your huddled masses and all of that, there's plenty of room. There's plenty of things that people can do if they're willing to do it and somebody's able to organize it. But we're not doing that. This theory though is basically that says we need to get rid of human beings. We need to stop having babies. We need to stop doing things to grow human beings in a normal way because somehow it's messing up the uh, environment. And uh, that has that should have zero place in the federal budget. $575 million for family planning, okay? Um, probably that gets filtered in a big part of that. You know, they get paid money to Planned Parenthood, and it's supposed to not be used for abortions, but you know, Planned Parenthood can just put it in the budget and then allocate other money to abortions. It's the same thing. It's the same thing as funding abortions, and that's what it is, that, that whole idea. Uh, $65 million for two programs for uh, Senator Patrick Leahy, who's retiring, uh, to name a lake after him, and also a federal building to be named for Nancy Pelosi. That seems like a lot of money just to change the lettering outside of a building. I suppose it's more than that, right? I mean, you, you have to change a few signs. You've got to hire somebody to do that, but $65 million for that? You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. The number is 888-528-2557. You got any ideas where we could spend more money or spend money better in the United States? I bet we do. This is what bugs me, is we have this water crisis, right? In Flint, Michigan, we've got a water problem in Jackson, Mississippi. And, I mean, it's terrible. It's terrible to the extent that the pipes are old. People are drinking contaminated water. People have been sick. People have died. Why? And I understand that it's a state problem and that we're states, and I totally believe in that system of who we are. But if we're just going to be shoveling out hundreds of millions of dollars all around the world to all kinds of things, doesn't it make sense that we send Jackson, Mississippi, a bunch of money and say, hey, fix your water supply? Like, take care of the folks. Doesn't, wouldn't that make some sense? To me, that would make some sense. To me, that would be much, a much better use of our taxpayer money than some of these things. And like I said, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is something about naming the lake after Senator Leahy and uh, naming a building after Nancy Pelosi uh, that's valuable. Maybe somehow that brings in a lot of taxpayer money. You know, I, I just don't see how that's possibly true. <laughs> we spend an awful lot of time renaming post offices. There's a whole bunch in here about renaming post offices. There's groups of people who are paid probably outrageous amounts of money to to rename post offices. Um. That's crazy. $477,000 for anti-racist training from the Equity Institute. $3 million for an LGBTQ plus museum in New York City. Uh, $4.1 million in various career programs for Fairfax, Virginia, the county of Fairfax. Uh, Fairfax, Virginia typically is the wealthiest county in the United States. Did you know that? And they're getting $4.1 million in various career programs um, you know who lives in uh, Fairfax, Virginia? The people who wrote this bill live in Fairfax, Virginia, in Fairfax County. And uh, so they give themselves some money there for uh, probably for their kids, right? What is, what's various career programs? Must be something, you know, scholarships or something. And see, that's the thing is we don't even know. It's just sort of in there. Somebody somewhere knows when they get the check, but who knows? This is your government. This is how it works. And here's, once again, this is in the federal budget. Ready for this? Gender programs in Pakistan, and uh, $200 million for that. Nobody believes that money is going to gender programs in Pakistan. 
Maybe this is how we fund Area 51. Maybe this is how we fund some secret government program. But shouldn't somebody ask, hey, in this um, very sincere Muslim nation, I really doubt that there's a whole lot of gender programs going on there in uh, Pakistan. Just somehow I'm thinking they're not on board with uh, some of that uh, stuff going on. But they're getting, once again, $200 million. I feel like somebody should know what that money is for. $535 million for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which means that every time NPR asks you for money, you should think about that. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in there for monuments and uh, journalists and uh, monuments for journalists and monuments for service animals. And uh, like I said, 25 post offices. You know, our government is out of control. The spending is out of control in our government. And really nobody's looking. My friends, it's time that we look. And I think, honestly, we've got to take a look at ourselves because, you know, we send people to Congress to represent us. They're going to do what we do. And, you know, speaking as somebody who once was in terrible debt, I have no debt now, no credit card debt. I used to have terrible credit card debt. Maybe some of you are in that situation now. And I know the burden. It's a terrible burden. But once you get out of it and you can, even if it's severe, it's a wonderful thing. See, and all these things are being done because they think this is best for the world. Somebody thinks so somewhere. Now, really, that's the, that's the excuse given. They're being done because somebody's getting paid. That's ultimately what's happening here. C.S. Lewis once wrote this, and I think it's so relevant for our times. Of all the tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under an omnipotent moral busybody. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. That is a brilliant statement right there. Those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. Nothing better than somebody uh, doing a bunch of things poorly or doing things in with nefarious uh, reasons, but they think that they're doing the right thing for the sake of humanity. And I think that's a big piece of what's happening in our national. But this is your money. This is not made up money. This is debt. Somebody's going to pay it eventually. How are you doing in these areas? Are you paying attention in your own life? I think that's that's the first step of what we can do. The second step is call your congressperson and ask them to read the bill. You can even ask them to vote no. Take some time to do that. All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Southern California Live. The number is 888-528-2557. And uh, when we come back, one of the things I want to ask you about is uh, Christmassy. Do you have any Christmas traditions that are a lot of fun, that you really enjoy in your family? Christmas traditions, what are you looking forward to this weekend the most? We can share that with each other. 888-528-2557. You're listening to Southern California Live. You can call right now, 888-528-2557. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back as the Tuesday edition continues. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. I'm dreaming of a Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. It's it's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer, we, we, we smile a little easier, we, 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 we cheer a little more. I want an official Red Rider cover next in 200 chair wings while I arrive. You're a 1,200-year-old elf? You look pretty good for your age. Thanks, but I'm seeing someone in rapping. Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. 
I can't seem to find my toothbrush, so I'll pick one up when I go out today. Other than that, I'm in good shape. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. You have any Christmas traditions that you're looking forward to that you want to talk about? Um, I think that uh, maybe some people even need some ideas for some great Christmas traditions. What do you do as a family, or maybe you just have something that you do kind of on your own as a Christmas tradition? 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. Maybe you're right in the middle of it. Do you travel for Christmas? Do you have uh, uh, different food that you like to eat? Something that you do around the Christmas Eve service before or after we used to plan our Christmas Eve services at our church based upon, you know, people's schedules. You know, some people have early dinner traditions. Other people have late dinner traditions. And so we'd have two services, you know, for the early dinner people and another one for the late dinner people was kind of the idea or multiple services. Some places have huge – Christmas Eve uh, is one of the biggest things now. It's it's probably uh, more people than – it draws maybe more people than Easter as far as the number of people who come to church who don't normally go to church, that happens uh, quite a bit. You should think about that as you're thinking about whatever Christmas tradition that you have, because uh, maybe you need to invite somebody into it. Maybe that's a big part of the Christmas tradition. 888-528-2557 is the number, 888-528-2557. There's a lot of uh, different things. We, you know, I think that our our family's trying to design them. Um, and you know, I think that some of our tradition is, is there's jammies. We have a, a breakfast that, uh, I usually make. It's a big casserole. That's like an egg dish type of thing. It's tons of bread and, uh, tons of eggs and, uh, some red peppers, some broccoli so we can pretend like it's healthy and, uh, lots of cheese and it's fabulous. And, uh, we look forward to that on Christmas morning and, uh, we're getting ready to, uh, to make that this year. And some people go all out. You have family trips, different kinds of cookies that you make, different things that you do. Uh, what's your Christmas tradition? 888-528-2557 if you want to share that. One of the things I like to do is, and I'm late this year. I'll, I'll probably get it done later this week. But I like to read A Christmas Carol, the actual uh, Charles Dickens book. It's a great book if you haven't read it. You know, it's great because it's a great story. And that's a big part of of Christmas. See, you have a story. Part of the reason that traditions are fun is because they help you with your story. There's a story in your family. There's a story that you have. There's there's a part of your story. I joke about uh, Christmas Eve shopping. uh, But the truth is, is I love to shop Christmas Eve. Like for me, it's kind of a tradition. I try not to honestly save all of it for Christmas Eve, although I have. Uh, I like Christmas Eve shopping because you go to the mall on Christmas Eve and the only other people there are morons like you who have waited to the last minute to try to figure out what to buy their, their family. And uh, But the thing is that there's this camaraderie, right? It's a whole bunch of procrastinators. We're at the mall at the same time and everybody's friendly. You smile at each other and you nod and you nod at the guy across the, the other register and you kind of smile because you know uh, you're in a little bit of trouble. You're just in, uh, you just got to hurry up and uh, get things done. And I'll confess, I have been one of those people in the 7-Eleven right around 11 p.m. At, uh, on Christmas Eve, which I, even if you don't have anything to shop for, I highly recommend it. Just go down to the 7-Eleven at 11 or 12 on Christmas Eve and uh, check out what's going on there. The place is packed, packed, <laughs> packed full of all men and uh, who are panicking, trying to figure out what to get for stocking stuffers or what to get last-minute gifts. And uh, 
you know, so that's why, you know, if you get, you know, a pair of uh, $5 sunglasses and, uh, you know, or a uh, Molly Hatchet CD or something like that, that's because they're in the uh, AMPM or the 7-Eleven late at night. And uh, that's what was left. Uh, that what was there. There's probably see that's part of your story though. If that's if that's what it is, and and uh, like I said, truthfully, I, I get some things done. But I enjoy that day. It's the only day I probably like to to get out and actually shop and uh, do things. My wife is the opposite, by the way. My wife will shop for next Christmas uh, on Monday next week, the day after Christmas. She is going to shop for next Christmas. Uh, she gets ahead of the game with that. Uh, I can't do that. My brain just doesn't work that way. And, uh, you know, so we work together pretty well that way because uh, I don't worry if things are kind of behind. And uh, she saves me from a whole lot of trouble by getting things done early. And uh, it's a good thing. That's part of our story. Anyway, there's a story at Christmas. And Christmas is so much about the story. And there's a lot of history in the Christmas story when you read your your Bible. That's something I encourage you to do. If you're going to have a Christmas tradition, you know, one of the things to do is find something to read. Find something that's good to read. When was the last time you actually sat down by yourself or maybe with your family and read the Christmas story? Uh, Do that and read the whole story. Get all of the details. It is a great story, and it will remind you of different things. We've talked about that over the times. One of the things I think is interesting is that you read in the Gospel of Luke about, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree, right? And you hear about these names, Quirinius and King Herod and these historical figures, um, what I think is interesting is that, you know, for somebody who's in the history, Caesar Augustus, you know, it's a big deal. And King Herod is known as Herod the Great in, in you know, history, if you take a look at uh, what he did in his life. But they're not the main characters of the biblical story, the Christmas story. You know that? They're just footnotes. They're just people who are there to sort of give you an idea of when this happened in history. And over time, that matters because nobody cares about those guys anymore, generally, unless you're an academic or a historian and you care about that sort of thing, right? You're probably not, most of you are not thinking a whole lot about Caesar Augustus right now. You've probably never given it much thought. Most of you do not have any Caesar Augustus uh, memorabilia hanging around your house. Uh, You don't, probably nothing from any of the Caesars or people who seem to be important. They're not. Uh, You have maybe some statues of some lowly shepherds in your house right now. Um, Some unnamed wise men somewhere related to that story. And you've got a Mary and a Joseph who really had nothing except the blessing of God, the tremendous blessing of God. And it's an incredible thing. The Christmas story is amazing this way. Uh, God has communicated to us not really with, not just with a bunch of facts, and academics, but with stories, with real people, real events, real places. It is an incredible thing. And, well, a historian might tell you that Caesar Augustus is an important person. He's really not. People don't name their babies after too many Caesars. You might be named Caesar, and you might have a grandfather who was named Augustus, and you might have people named Julius and stuff, but you're probably naming them not after the Caesars. You're, you're naming them after family people. Some people do that. But uh, you probably don't have a relative named Nero. You may not have a uh, relative named Tiberius. You know, most people, those names, a lot of the Caesars' names, people name their dogs after those guys. I've known a lot of dogs named Nero and a lot of dogs named Tiberius, which I think is a great dog name. And uh, I tried to get uh, James's middle name is, is Theodore. He's James T. I tried to get James Tiberius because it's James Tiberius Cook, Kirk. 
Uh, but uh, Christie wouldn't go for that, and uh, wisely so. You know what is interesting, though, is we do name our kids after biblical characters, don't we? I bet you know plenty of people named Mary, a lot of people named Joseph. I bet uh, everybody except Judas, you've got disciples, Peter and James and John and Andrew and Matthew, and you've got you've got Mary and you've got Ruth and you've got biblical names. You know, these people who really had nothing who shouldn't have been important from a historical standpoint, we name our, our kids after them today. We name our dog after the Caesars most of the time. That's an amazing part of the Christmas story. Anyway, I was telling you that I read the uh, Christmas Carol, and that's a personal tradition, and I, I try to read it to my kids, or, and we'll watch the movies and argue about which one is better. But there are some great things about it. I think it's because story is powerful. You know, Scrooge says this in the beginning of A Christmas Carol. He says, if I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He should. That's the Scrooge attitude. And the book's hilarious, kind of with that. But by the end, Scrooge says this, I hope to live to be another man from what I was. I am prepared to bear you company and do it with a thankful heart. And the book ends with this line, And it was always said of him, meaning Scrooge, that he knew how to keep Christmas well. If any man alive possessed the knowledge, may that be truly said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. That's an amazing turnaround because the story is ultimately about redemption. And it's not, you know, a Christian story in the sense that it's not bringing Jesus into it. There's a nod to the church and some things in there that I think are interesting parts of that book. But a big part of the, the Christmas story is it should inspire us about redemption, that we can be changed, that we can be bought back, that we can be different. And that's why our traditions can matter so much, because they can remind us of the actual story of Christmas, the actual joy of being with people, the actual joy of what happens when we're right with God and right with the people in our life. That's a big part of it. Do you have any Christmas traditions, foods that you like, things that you like to do at Christmas time? Give me a call. You can share them right now, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. I'll be back as the Tuesday edition continues. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Santa's coming in town. Santa! Oh, my God! This is Christmas, the season of perpetual hope. We are Santa's elves, building Santa's shelves. Tinsel, not just for decoration. Look what you did, you little jerk. If you look for it. I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. This is a full-blown four-alarm holiday emergency here. Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, some of those clips, you know, in some of those movies, there's a lot of tension going on, you know, with people at Christmas time. Maybe that's your uh, your Christmas tradition in your family. I hope not. What are your Christmas traditions? Call, give me a call. Let me know. 888-528-2557. Maybe the um, way you should think about it is what are you looking forward to the most? at Christmas time, 888-528-2557. I do look forward to uh, a lot of things at Christmas. I like the Christmas Eve service. I always enjoy that. And uh, I've had some adventures in Christmas Eve growing up in a pastor's home. I used to do some kind of reading or I would sing a solo or do something in the Christmas Eve service. And one of my favorite ones is my dad as a, as a pastor 
his Christmas Eve service always included uh, communion, Lord's Supper, every time. Kind of like communion service, and that was the thing. And and he would have us uh, read different scriptures and different things during it while people would come up and and uh, take the elements and those kinds of things. And I was one of those readers a lot. And one time it was so dark in there, I'll never forget this. And I was, I don't know how old I was. I might have been 11 or 12. And I was reading, um, I think I was reading one of the old creeds. And uh, it caught on fire because I was holding it next to this candle that was on the pulpit because I couldn't see it. It was too dark in there. And the paper actually caught on fire. And I slammed down on the pulpit, bang, 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 really loud to put the fire out. And my dad turned around and he looked at me and I thought I was in all kinds of trouble because, I mean, it was obviously a distraction, but uh, people in the audience noticed that it was on fire. So they kind of knew and there was some some laughter. My dad, you know, there was a look, you know, when he's dad, you get a look. And uh, some of the most trouble I ever got in was uh, messing around during church and didn't think that dad could see me while he's up there giving the sermon. And then he would, uh, he used to, um, you know, after the sermon, he would pray, and then there would be a final song, and he would walk to the back so he could greet people. And on his way back, he would often look at me and say, you're getting it when you get home. That's how I knew I was in trouble. And uh, sometimes that was a Christmas Eve tradition. 888-528-2557 is the number. What do you look forward to the most for Christmas Eve? So I look forward to Christmas Eve, you know, and the things that go on and people just coming and uh, doing different things. 888-528-2557 is the number. The stories, I think, matter a lot. I think that's a big part of if you have a tradition, something you do, it becomes part of your story. And stories unite us in different ways. Stories bring us together. That's why we like Christmas movies. That's why we like Christmas books and the different stories. They they have a a theme at Christmas time of redemption. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Do you watch that movie? That. Uh, it's still a great movie. I think I get something different out of it every time. But one of the great things about that movie is you have this senior angel, right? It's not theologically correct, that movie, okay? Uh, and uh, it begins with the senior angel saying, a man down on earth needs our help. And then Clarence, uh, the angel says, splendid. Is he sick? And the senior angel says, no, worse, he's discouraged. And that's where some of us are, Right. Like, I feel, um, I'm, uh, you can probably tell a little bit, under the weather. I'm doing fine. I just have this, you know, whatever's going around. I call it Furrow 22 because I've tested for everything and I don't have it, but I've got something. And uh, maybe it's going to be next year's pandemic, but uh, Furrow 22. But uh, I'm not discouraged. I'm a little under the weather. It's a lot worse to be discouraged. I've been discouraged before. I've had times of discouragement, and uh, I tell you what, I'd rather have the cold. Uh, or whatever it is I got. And that's a big part of what that movie is about. At the end of the movie, though, a great thing about it is that he's encouraged. The Jimmy Stewart character is encouraged and blessed, and he's made whole again. And in fact, he even says Merry Christmas to his enemy, Mr. Potter. And that's another reason we like that movie and that story. It's a great story. It's a wonderful life. If you haven't watched that for a long time, go check it out. You can probably Find it for free in your smart TV somewhere. Somebody's playing it somewhere. Elf, do you ever watch that movie? I didn't like it the first time I saw it at all, but eventually I started to like it. And I mean, it's a movie with, uh, it's silly, mostly all the way through, but there's a reuniting with his father and a family healed, right? That's ultimately what that movie is about. There's another Christmas movie where John McClane's relationship to his wife is restored by the end of it. Is that movie a Christmas movie? We could probably have that debate. Uh, Die Hard, is it a Christmas movie? What do you guys think? Anything? Die Hard, Christmas movie? 
Uh, Bruce Willis was asked about this once, and he gave this answer. I did this roast for one reason and for one reason only, to settle something once and for all. Now, please listen very carefully. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. I don't know. There's a lot of people who debate that out there. Um, But, uh, you know, these are great stories for Christmas because Christmas is about redemption. And, you know, we've had a lot of canceling of people the last few years. Cancel culture, we called it, right? You know why it's so bad? Because there's no redemption in it. There's no hope. It's not fair or unfair. It just, it just whether it's fair or unfair to be, you know, to be fire, fired from something or, or your voice silenced for some reason, there's no redemption. That's a lot of the problem with some of the, the woke ideologies that are out there that sort of classify everybody into certain groups and whatever your group is um, stereotypically guilty of or historically guilty of or whatever it is, you're just stuck with that. There is no redemption. There is no getting out from under it. You're just classified somehow. And that is discouraging to human character. That is discouraging to human being. It's discouraging to entire cultures of people. And so when Christmas comes to us and it brings us something, it brings us something better than what we experience. Christmas is something that inspires not just stories, but the stories inspire songs. That's why we have Christmas music, right? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Um, My favorite line in that song, the Christmas song by Mel Torme, is tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. I like that line because if your eyes were all aglow, you would find it hard to sleep, wouldn't you? Uh, See, I think that's kind of, I just see things a little bit differently. Uh, Chestnuts roasting on an open fire also sounds like a homeowner's association violation. But it's a great song, right? He wrote that song in 45 minutes. He just sat down and cranked it out. And he's inspired because of the redemption and the peace and the greatness of Christmas time. Oh, come all ye faithful. Uh, one of the most popular Christmas hymns of all times, 200 years old. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels. This song is about gathering. You'll probably sing that at some point in church or maybe on Christmas Eve, maybe Christmas Day. You're going to sing, O come, O come, O all ye faithful. Joyful and triumphant. Triumphant's a word we, we don't even want to say in our culture because If somebody's triumphant, then somebody must have lost, right? Well, yeah, evil loses. The devil loses. The curse loses. All of these things are part of the Christmas story. We should be encouraged to to do this. And the great thing about this song is it's about gathering. A great event has taken place. You know, the last couple of years, we've been encouraged not to gather. There are still people telling you, don't go get to to be with people uh, because of the COVID and all the stuff going through. You know, I, I understand you don't want to get sick, and some of some of us, you know, we've got to be careful because we're we're extra susceptible to things, the COVID or the RSV, or we've got you know immunity issues. I get it, but most of us, we just live in a world where people are going to get sick, and not gathering probably created more harm for people than a lot of what those diseases have done. We're supposed to gather, and we're supposed to gather and celebrate with other people. Um, that is such an important thing. Come, let us adore him, and let's do it together. 
That's why you should make sure that you go somewhere this weekend. Make sure you at least go to Christmas Eve or Christmas Day service, if not both. Gather with people, sing the songs. Angels we have heard on high. Christians have been singing that song since A.D. 129, a version of it. The legend is that, you know, singing glory on Christmas Eve. The legend is that in medieval times on Christmas Eve, the shepherds who were out in the field, the legitimate actual shepherds in in, uh, France is where this started, that they would shout from hill to hill to each other on Christmas Eve, Gloria in excelsis Deo. They knew their Latin quite well back then, which means glory to God in the highest. And it's how they would spread their holiday message and cheer uh, from points far away to one another. They didn't have phones. They didn't have the Internet. They couldn't, you know, do a TikTok dance or something and send it to each other. So from hillside to valley, the shepherd's song sounded like angels calling to one another in the celebration of the birth of Christ for the Christians living by in the towns nearby. And that would eventually inspire the song. The shepherds who were the lowliest. See, this king comes for everybody. He comes from you. These songs are inspired by redemption, that Jesus Christ is for all who would confess him as Lord. Everybody you know. And redemption is not something that should be taken away or reduced. Redemption is available to each person you know, to the biggest sinner among us, to the lowliest among us. They can be redeemed. This is the Christmas story. They can be brought back to a full relationship with God, and not only a good relationship with God, not only brought back to a relationship with God to his throne, where the book of Hebrews calls it the throne of grace. It's not the throne of, of okay, get out of here, I don't want to see you, but it's the throne of grace, and welcomed into the family together. That's Christmas. That's the story. Whatever your Christmas tradition is, if you got one, let it be inspired by redemption, the redemption that we have from Jesus Christ. Christmas time should be something that focuses on these major themes of Christianity, because that's what's inspiring, by the way. That's what actually leads people to unite, to come together, to do good things, and above all, to be saved. Christmas should be that way. All right, friends, when we get back, we've got a a guest who will be joining us, a pastor. We're going to talk about homelessness and some of the things that we can do as uh, churches this season. And we'll talk about the news, Title 42, some other things. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. I'll be back as the Tuesday edition continues. Stay tuned.